church. All right, amen, Francis. Thanks for hearing, saying that. Uh, I hope it does, uh, because if the only time your heart is rejoicing is when others are leading you to do that, there's something wrong. You need to have the joy of the Lord in your heart and a delight in Him. And uh, excited about that. Our, our uh, iLife group is studying that. I'm going to stay over here because we're going to do a lot of video today. And, uh, and I hope you're, you're finding that kind of joy. Well, last week... We started a series, Hupakuo, okay? And Kirk's been sick, so he gets one week relapse on his uh, rap uh, and dance for Hupakuo. But uh, just say that, Hupakuo. Hupakuo. All right, you're getting there. And we talked about that, and uh, I, I've got a lesson all prepared, and I'm, I'm excited about it. Excited about it. Uh, the first strategy in hearing God speak is expect God, or uh, the first strategy for how to listen to a sermon is to expect to hear from God. Expect to hear from God. Found some tremendous, exciting things in that. And then uh, some March Madness happened in the realm of the body of Christ. And some theological things occurred. And we So let's do a, a short review. Last week we answered the question, why a series on how to listen to a sermon? Why a series on how to listen to a sermon? We said number one was cultural reasons. Cultural reasons, there in your notes. We live in a technological age with a radically short attention span and stunted learning styles. And we said with all this technology, it's technology, it's impacted how we listen to sermons. And you're going to see an example of that in the pastor and his message that we're going to examine this morning. Because here's a man, Rob Bell, who uses technology to its utmost, who uses all that we talked about, the creativity, the short attention span, the different learning styles. The only problem is he doesn't speak the truth of God's word. Therefore, if all you're trained to do is to listen to a certain cultural style and you don't know how to listen to a sermon and you don't know how to discern truth, you're going to say, wow, that was great and sing, and, and, and take in false doctrine. So we're going to see an example of this cultural reason. Secondly, the practical reason. A few of us have ever been taught how to be a good listener, even though much of life is dependent on listening rather than hearing. And we shared that unbelievable stat that immediately after hearing, you lose half. Eight hours later, you lose half of what the half you had. And so you're only getting 20, less than 25% remembering. Okay, now that has almost caused me to teach the same lesson over every week for four weeks, all right? Okay, you got it, you got it. And it really impacted how I even prepared this lesson because I was like, well, I can't assume anything. I used to assume things. Now I can't. And I gave you guys a challenge that at 8 o'clock last week, you were to send me an email. Now, I basically figured out in one four, only a fourth of you remembered that. Okay, actually less than a fourth, which is even more depressing. And so I got this email after I came back from iLife Group. Chris, I remembered to email you after group as you requested. However, I forgot what I was supposed to tell you. <laughs> Isn't that great? I love it. I love it. Seriously, and then there was a seriously, which, you know, made it all okay. Seriously, this morning's Discovery Hour lesson was about listening to a sermon, how we should hear and obey or heed God's word, you discuss three reasons of which I remember two, practical and spiritual. Listening is a skill that is developed, therefore listening to God's word preach would be a spiritual skill developed for a spiritual purpose, to hear and obey with a responsive heart, which is often repentance. Well, I'd say 
the part they remembered was the, the right part, wouldn't you? Got another one. Hey, Chris, so I'm writing to let you know I remembered to write, but it's so scary to realize how very little we really remember. The one thing that I do want to remember about this morning is this. How convicted I was for all the times I've been at church and not listened and honestly convicted over the times that I've been there and not wanted to be. What a waste of opportunities that I've not gone there ready to listen and hear what God has to say to me. Wow, I'm so grateful that you're teaching this and I'll be more ready to listen than I've ever been. God is at work here. Thanks again. Isn't that good? Amen. Good things to remember. Okay, practical reason. Third reason we looked at was spiritual reasons. We're all born spiritually deaf, hard of hearing, hard of heeding. If God doesn't do a miraculous work in your life, you will sit here, listen, and it will not change your heart. The fourth reason was the biblical reason. One of the main biblical words for hearing actually means obeying. One of the main words. And that's the word hupa kuo. Hupa means under. Kuo means to listen. And so when you're hupa kuo, when you're doing hupa kuo, you are placing yourself under that which you hear and under it in order to obey it. But I want to give you a, a fifth reason today, and it's, it's the basis of the lesson. There's a theological reason. There's a theological reason that really was brought home to me this week with the release of this book that we're going to talk about. Notice what it says. Why do we need a series on how to listen to a sermon? Because not every preacher or sermon should be listened to. Because some are false teachers that need to be rejected. And some are teaching false doctrine that needs to be refuted. That's why we need to know how to listen. So that when we, know, when we hear that which is false doctrine, we, re, we, we refute it. We know that's wrong and here's why. And when we know it's a false teacher, we reject him or her and say, that's not what we want to do. Let me give you a couple verses. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in their latter times, some will depart from the faith. They were professing Christians, professing the truth, and then they depart from it. Giving heed. Now, notice, they're giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. We live in the latter times. It should not surprise us that, that men uh, and even women who teach the Bible and, and start out biblical drift into heresy, drift into false teaching. Now, if we know, how many of you believe that's possible? How many believe that we're in a time where that is greater than ever? Well, then if that's the case, then, then we ought to, you know, then we shouldn't be afraid to address it when it's there. And yet, in American Christianity, there is a growing reservation to address anything that is negative. And this whole cultural uh, spirit of, of being a hater well, if you, if, you, if you critique someone's doctrine, if you, if you say, you know, in a sense, call, you know, if it quacks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, if it looks like a duck, it, but you call it a duck, you're a hater. You're a hater. Well, no. I, now, I may be. I may be saying it in a, in a rude, unloving, critical, self-righteous way. And if I am, I'm a sinner that needs to repent and confess. 
But if I'm speaking the truth in love in order to protect the flock, in order to proclaim the truth, and in order to fulfill the biblical injunctions that we're going to read, and I do it in love, then I'm not a hater. I'm a lover because there's nothing more unloving than to not address error. There's nothing more unloving than to cover sin and not dealing with it before the Lord. And so let's listen to 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Now, what's that mean? That means preach it when it's acceptable to your hearers and preach it when it's politically incorrect. Preach it even if they call you a hater. Preach it anyway. And then he says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Now, see, we like the exhort part. What we don't like is the reprove and rebuke part, which is also part of the command. With, but then here it is, with complete patience. Now, there's, there's the challenge, isn't it? You know, when you're right, others are wrong. No matter how much you want, you know, the, the key is patience, humility, compassion, and love. But not at the sacrifice of truth. And, uh, and then he says this. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. You know what I see in that, in light of our series? There comes a time when God's people no longer know how to listen to a sermon. They don't, and, 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 and it's funny, endure sound teaching. Now, now that means to persevere. In, I, 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 there's a whole lesson here. We'll get. I, I just see a lesson, Jerry. There's a lesson right there. Endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. There is no greater way to do that ever now than through the Internet. I can download my itching ear teachers. I can upload my itching ear teachers. I can MP3 them. I can CD them. I can DVD them. And I can gather, like this one, ooh, don't like that guy, he stepped on my toes. Here's where I want to go. Now, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As you have, as for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. In other words, what he's saying is, Timothy, stick by the stuff, even though it's going to get harder. It's going to get harder. They're going to throw rocks at you, verbally and often literally it's going to get heated it's going to get hot but you remain true to preaching the word of god titus 1 9 says this that part of the responsibility of us as shepherds at this church of bob as a missionary any man who handles the word of god titus 1 9 says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught now we're going to see this in a minute the word of god is not a dialogue it's a deposit. The Word of God is not a journey to the truth. It's a revelation of the truth that I and you have been given, and I am to guard it, and I am to proclaim it. But I am not here sitting in judgment to say, well, which parts are good, which are right, and let's talk about which parts we, that are really relevant to the 21st century. Now, I feel like Jude this morning. In Jude started out writing Jude in verse 3. Here's what he says. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, I started out this direction. So I started out this week preparing a lesson on how to hear God speak, expect to hear God speak. 
And all this week was filled with a man's book who proposes to be speaking for God, but is really speaking man's wisdom. And so, beloved, I I had every intention to go this way, but pardon the interruption for a lesson about a book on heaven, hell, and the fate of every person who has ever lived by Rob Bell. That's the book that was released this week. In fact, its release was pushed forward because of the buzz on the Internet over what this uh, famous, influential, young, dynamic, creative pastor has released a book entitled uh, Love Wins. Love Wins, subtitle, A Book on Heaven, Hell, and the Fate of Every Person Who Ever Lived. Sound familiar? Almost sounds like our series is Jesus the Only Way, right? Billions and billions hang, well, very different from our series, as you will see. Okay, let's take a look at it. Before we look at the video, let's take a look. Who is Rob Bell? He graduated from Wheaton College, which is a, a, some, a, a, a Bible college that is a very reputable Bible college, Fuller Theological Seminary in California. Where does he pastor? He's the founding pastor of Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's reported that over 10,000, I've heard reports of seven to 10,000 people, uh, worship there on a weekly basis. And he has the NUMA series, a small group videos. And, and Audra was telling me beforehand, the ba- ba- uh, Baptist Student Union at her college used these videos. That doesn't mean everybody that used them is, you know, crazy. Uh, but it does mean, do you see the influence? And these videos, there's 19 of them. You don't make 19 of something unless they're highly successful and people are buying them. By the way, those were published by Zondervan, who refused to publish this book because of its doctrine. All right, so there does come a time where even a publishing house that's in it for the money, and by the way, please understand, almost all of our Christian publishing houses are now owned by secular companies. So the idea of relying on the name of your publisher to say this is sound doctrine, you know, now Moody may still be the name you can trust. That's their tagline. But many, like Word Publishing, these are all, all, uh, you know, they're owned by secular companies, and and secular companies are in business for one reason. That's make money and and, and sell. Okay, now, so his influence is is huge. Now, what is he known for? He's an effective communicator who uses creativity, technology, and, and most of all, the use of relevant questions as a means of evangelism. He is recognized leader in the emerging church movement. And that is a movement, uh, and I, I, I admit I have not personally studied this one out, and so I'm not going to speak with authority on it, but, but it's a movement uh, that is seeking an evangelistic strategy in large part to even win Christians back uh, to, to the faith. The only problem is some say rather than the emergent church being an evangelistic strategy, it's really the last rung for evangelicals before they descend into liberalism, okay? And you're going to see evidence of that in what we're going to look at. Now, why should I care? Okay, so catch up with me here. Why should I care? Well, here's how I put it. Rob Bell is the Elijah to Clark Pinnock's Elijah. Remember me talking about in our series on inclusivism, Clark Pinnock? Well, Clark, Clark Pinnock was a scholar who died during our series, Okay, so we're talking about a guy whose influence is only extended now through his books, and he's a scholar, and, and, and crazy people like me that, that are, you know, going to school to study these things, read those books, you guys won't. 
But we're not talking about Rob Bell. Uh, we're not talking about Clark Pinnock anymore. He's in heaven. Now we're talking about the guys that scholars influence. And guess who scholars influence? They influence pastors. Guess who pastors influence? They influence lay people. Guess who lay people influence? The on-the-ground work for the mission of God. So you need to care about scholarship. We need godly scholars because scholars train preachers and preachers lead churches and people listen to pastors. Well, often they do. Uh, He is the latest prophet to proclaim, publish, and promote a false view of the gospel that is called inclusivism. So you want to write in there inclusivism. Now, after last week's stats that people only remember one quarter, you know, I was like, well, can I assume that the 12 weeks in which we, you know, tackled this topic, everybody remembers that? Well, I now know, no, I cannot. And I'm not going to go through this, but I put the content there for you. And what we're going to see is this. Notice uh, it says, what was... The Is Jesus the Only Way to God series all about? We address this topic of inclusivism. That Jesus is the only way to Christ, but people are going to come to Christ if they're just sincere. Even if they have never heard the gospel, they're going to still be able to come to Christ. Which then ends up being universalism. Everybody, first it becomes pluralism. There's many ways. Christ is going to save you, but there are many ways he's going to save you even if you don't ever hear of him. And then it ends up being universalism, which is simply, we're all going to get saved in the end. All right? Now, I have the uh, little match the ism there. Well, let's look at the questions. Three questions in this question, is Jesus the only way to salvation? We we taught in that series, and you can go to glenwoodconnection.org. You can listen to the whole series. Will anyone experience eternal conscience torment under God's wrath in hell? Rob Bell is going to answer that. Is the work of Jesus necessary for salvation? Rob Bell is going to answer that in his book. Is conscience faith in Jesus necessary for salvation? Rob Bell is going to answer that in the book. In fact, he's going to raise all three of these questions in the promotion for his book that we're going to see. Remember, he's a great guy that raises questions. Well, you know, questions are great. It's how you answer them. It's also even how you ask the question is important. Because you can ask questions in a way that leads you down the wrong path. You can ask a question in a way that God's not asking the question. And you can ask it in a way that God's word can't answer that question because the question's asked in the wrong way. So, as we look at these isms, annihilationism, Rob Bell does not advocate that, but every one of those under there, Rob Bell advocates. He advocates universalism. Everybody's going to be saved in the end. That's the name of the book, Love Wins. Who wins in the end? Love wins. Love wins everybody in the end. Pluralism. It's not just Christ. Everybody, you know, God's love is going to melt hearts everywhere. Inclusivism. Uh, they, it's, it, they don't have to know about Jesus. They'll meet him after death. That's post-mortem salvation. All right, so here we are. Two axioms drive inclusivists, we said in our series. Axiom one, the love of God for all people and his desire for salvation. Axiom two, the necessity and finality of Jesus Christ for salvation. Now, underneath that, I have a quote by Rob Bell that sums up the main message of this book. Now, when you read that quote, you see inclusivism. You see the two axioms. God is love. Love is the ground of our being. There's axiom number one. Jesus came to give us and show us this love. 
There's axiom number two. That's is the core message of this book. Now you're like, I am thoroughly confused. That's all right. Rob Bell is going to help you understand it. Okay, so let's look at the promotional video. This is a promotional YouTube video to uh, get you to buy his book and started the whole controversy this week. Several years ago, we had an art show at our church, and people brought in all kinds of sculptures and paintings, and we put them on display, and there was this one piece that had a quote from Gandhi in it. And lots of people found this piece compelling. They'd stop and sort of stare at it and take it in and reflect on it, but not everybody found it that compelling. Somewhere in the course of the art show, somebody attached a handwritten note to the piece, and on the note, they had written, Reality Check, He's in hell. Gandhi's in hell. He is. And someone knows this for sure and, and felt the need to let the rest of us know. Will only a few select people make it to heaven? And will billions and billions of people burn forever in hell? And if that's the case, how do you become one of the few? Is it what you believe or what you say or what you do or who you know or something that happens in your heart? Or do you need to be initiated or baptized or take a class or converted or being born again? How does one become one of these few? And then there is the question behind the questions. The real question, what is God like? Because millions and millions of people were taught that the primary message, the center of the gospel of Jesus is that God is going to send you to hell unless you believe in Jesus. And so what gets subtly sort of caught and taught is that Jesus rescues you from God. But what kind of God is that, that we would need to be rescued from this God? How could that God ever be good? How could that God ever be trusted? And how could that ever be good news. This is why lots of people want nothing to do with the Christian faith. They see it as an endless list of absurdities and inconsistencies and they say, why would I ever want to be a part of that? See, what we believe about heaven and hell is incredibly important because it exposes what we believe about who God is and what God is like. What you discover in the Bible is so surprising, unexpected, and beautiful that whatever we've been told or taught the good news is actually better than that, better than we could ever imagine. The good news is that love wins. Come inside, come inside, and I'll tell you how that all works out. Okay, impressions. Now, we only have about five minutes to deal with it because we got two other ones to do with. Rick. Well, let's just give Rick an amen. Yeah, yeah. But now, let, let, here's the problem with false teaching. There's grains of truth in that. If we do not know the gospel and teach the gospel as God presents it, rather than maybe how we have received it, because we haven't hupakua, we haven't really listened to the sermon, or 
maybe the pastor got passed down the, a distorted, an imbalanced message. Not a, not a wrong message, but an imbalanced message. We can make it somehow be like the God of the Old Testament is the angry father. The God of the New Testament is the loving son. And, and by the way, this is basically the message of, Cal, of, of, of Catholicism. That the suffering son... And the grieving mother, Mary, stands in the way of the angry God that's going to judge your sin. This is why we're doing 90-day Bible, is so that you can read the whole Bible in 90 days and see that the God of the New Testament is a God of the Old Testament is a God of compassion. And by the way, the God of the New Testament, Jesus Christ, is a God of wrath. And And they're a trinity. They love, the Father sent the Son. And loves the Son, and the Son obeys the Father. And the problem is, yes, our sin. Okay, so great impression. Another impression. Impression. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, that's because you're a hater, Jim. You're you're a hater, and 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 the reason you're calling this guy a wolf in sheep's clothing is because you're a hater. Because see, the what what Christianity today now I don't usually name names like this, but it's all out there. The reviews Christianity today. The review is you know what? Here's the bottom line. Mark Galley, editor of Christianity Today. Here's the final thing on this book. Let's just listen to the spirit and see where it goes. Well, first of all, the Spirit doesn't do anything that doesn't glorify Christ and isn't consistent with the Word. So I listen to the Spirit by listening to the Word, and the Word agrees with the Spirit. Okay, so anyway, yeah, yeah. Now, let, let me address what Jim's saying, because he is. Many people tweeted and, and, and said, thank you, Rob Bell, for coming out and, and, and telling us who you really are. So this is the coming out. You know, John Piper tweeted three words, and, and he got railed for it. And maybe a leading guy, you know, I mean, but, but it's a tweet, folks. Technology determines the message. Farewell, Rob Bell. You know, Piper's a poet, too. So what he was saying was what Jim said. Bye. Bye. You've departed from the faith. He didn't say, I'm kicking you out. He said, you, you left us. Farewell, Rob Bell. Now, here's the thing, Jim. This guy's got 19 videos out there that were used at the Baptist Student Union where Audra went to school. So, yeah, something more subtle, but it's been so Because here's the thing. You don't depart from the truth. What's that casting? Is it casting crowns? You don't give, you give yourself away. How's it? What's it? It's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. It's a slow fade into immorality. It's a slow fade into apostasy as well. So what you're seeing is the fruit of it. I mean, when you print this book, you're coming out. Okay, so, but it, it's been over time. So, great, great insight. I'm, I'm affirming, yeah, you're exactly right. There's no missing this. What I'm trying to say is evangelical Christianity is not as clear as this as what I'm going to show you in a minute as the secular media has greater discernment than the evangelicals. Jim is the oddball evangelical. Go out on the internet. Go see. But you're in good company. That's right. That's right. That's another impression. Okay. 
He just he just asked questions. And this is and you see in these interviews, every it's very obvious he's teaching universalism. Uh, faithful biblical people see it, and secular media sees it. It's only moderate. And I have und, let me put this. I want to be gracious. Undiscerning Christians are the only ones that are not seeing it. So, are you a universalist, Rob Bell? What would Rob Bell say? No, no. But if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, looks like a duck, what is it? It's a duck. And we don't have to rely, listen, we don't have to rely on Rob Bell telling us who he is. We, God's word gives us discernment. And again, we don't, you know, Rob's not here. That's not the point. The point is to, to connect with you. But here's the thing. I may never meet Rob Bell, but... As a shepherd, I'm going to buy his book. I don't recommend you doing that. I don't think you need to do that. Some of you may want to do that. That's fine. But the idea, the point is, um, whether I ever meet him or not, he's influencing people. And whether he attends my church, he's influencing my flock. Potentially. But we're going to, we're going to be proactive and just cut it off at the beginning. Okay. All right, one more time, one more impression. Good, good observation, Todd. And this is his M.O., is to ask questions. But, but who's, uh, what other person in the Bible's M.O. was to ask questions? Who? Yes. <laughs> Satan. Where did, how did we get into this mess? Has God really said? Satan didn't come out and say this, that, you know, hey, I'm, I'm the devil, you know, I'm God's enemy. Join my side. No, he's, he he asked questions, and he yeah. And did God say, you know, did God say you would really die? It, it all starts with questions. That if you don't answer with the Word of God, it gets you thinking, and it leads you down the wrong course. Okay, that's that's all. Anybody else is just dying. All right. Do, do what? Get a call. I'm sure he will. He's made it every place else. All right. I have given you, uh, you know, tons of questions to look at just from that promo. Um, And because, again, like I said, I've never, you know, done something like this. And and my intent is not to make a whole series of this, which would be a great equipping series on how to discern false teaching. But uh, I've given you enough here that you can go back on YouTube. You can listen to this again and, 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 and dissect this down if you want and break it down and see some of the conclusions. But I, I will say this about it. He says, he gets to the heart of the question because he says this. Uh, what is the, the question behind the question? Then there's the question behind the question. The real question is, what is God like? And he's right. That how you answer these questions is reveals your view of God. How you and his view of God is what what are the cherubim around the throne saying according to Rob Bell? Love, love, love for all of eternity. The Bible says the cherubim are saying holy, holy, holy. Holiness wins. And it's a loving holiness. All right. Now, Bell says the intent is to help unsaved people, secularists, the atheists, the agnostic, 
to be delivered from a false view of Christianity, and he's going to deliver them. But let's see how the skeptics, how the secular media, see if they're buying his message. So let's take a look at George Stephanopoulos on Good Morning America this week. Let's see if they're buying this. Pastor Rob Bell's new book grapples with the big questions humans have struggled with for centuries. How can a good and powerful God allow innocent people, like the victims of the disaster in Japan, suffer unspeakable tragedies? And then, as so many Christians believe, why would God allow those victims who chose another faith condign to eternal punishment? Why would he do that? The book is called Love Wins, a book about heaven, hell, and the fate of every person who ever lived. It's already created something of a stir in the evangelical Christian community because of Bell's provocative take on heaven and hell. Time Magazine calls him a rock star in the church world. Preaching. We feel this pain deep in our bones. Connecting. And yet, within that suffering were all these latent seeds of creativity. And inspiring his congregation. When we suffer, this too will shape me. But Rob Bell's latest book is also inspiring charges of heresy as he takes on the notion of hell. What we believe about heaven and hell is incredibly important because it exposes what we believe about who God is. And he questions why a loving God would condemn human souls to eternal suffering. Will only a few select people make it to heaven? And will billions and billions of people burn forever in hell? Some evangelicals are calling it twisted scripture. Rob Bell, as the pastor of this large congregation, is, is obscuring God's word. He's teaching false doctrine. And he's unorthodox in his beliefs. Jesus was himself very, very clear about the reality and threat of hell. And Pastor Rob Bell joins us now. Boy, you really have kicked it up. Uh, <laughs> you, you look at, uh, at various blogs at, at, in, in, in the Christian community, and they say, you're a false prophet. This is false theology. You're committing heresy. Well, I, have, I actually am deeply compelled and fascinated with Jesus, and I think that the orthodox historic Christian tradition is this vast, diverse conversation that's been going on for thousands of years, and I think Jesus can handle the discussion. I think he can handle the debate. I'm interested in his message of good so, news. So how do you handle the big questions provoked by what we've been seeing in Japan? Uh, as, as I said in, in the intro, first of all, why would God simply yeah. allow this yeah. kind of suffering yeah. to exist? And then, uh, you know, most of the Japanese are Shinto or Buddhist. Yeah. Are they right. condemned to hell? It's a great question. First off, when there is human suffering and we shed tears, I believe God sheds tears too. So I begin with a God who identifies with our pain and suffering. I don't have a conception of a God who is distant, detached, you know what I mean, floating on a cloud somewhere, sort of going, well, you got yourself into this mess. My understanding is of a God who deeply, deeply cares, who empathizes, who sheds a tear like we do. And, and I begin with the assumption that God is love, and that God's love is a vast, wide, expansive, indestructible reality. And so much of this belief from reading your book was sparked by uh, the photograph of a painting that it was in your grandmother's yeah, yeah. house, which yeah. is actually, I hope we can show it right now. It shows, oh, I guess, the sure. elect going to heaven? Going to a really shiny city with no dirt in it or something. I, I think it's important to point out 
that how Jesus actually talked about heaven is for many people in our culture, the fundamental way they understand heaven is evacuation. Jesus, Someplace else. Yeah, essentially, Jesus is the ticket. And if you believe, say, confess, repent, whatever the right, you know, different stripe tells you or the different tribe tells you is the way to do it, then you go somewhere else, somewhere other than this place. And so a lot of the dominant images then are of clouds and puppies and white robes and perfect hair. But Jesus' fundamental question was, how do we bring heaven here? You know, his prayer, your, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So his understanding was the union of heaven and it's earth. something you have to create right well, now. Well, it is an invitation to take part in the life of heaven now. And, and that's a really huge... And then flip it around, of course, the images of hell that, you know, you sort of brought yeah. up with, whether, they're, let's say, they're metaphors, fire, yeah, darkness, yeah, yeah, yeah. distance, punishment. Well... You and I, we have this invitation every day for, for love, joy, peace. We can forgive our enemy or we can throw a stone back. Um, we can create all sorts of hells right now if we want to. Genocide, rape, abuse, financial schemes. But then what do you say to those who say those who commit genocide and rape yeah. should be condigned, should be consigned? Well, I think that at the core of the human experience for thousands of years has been this longing for justice. The, the tyrannical dictator who is killing innocents. There's something within us that says... that's what says, about. Well, something within us says that that person needs to be held accountable. That person needs to be brought to justice. That is throughout the Christian and out of the Jewish tradition, like the prophet Amos, let justice roll like a river. I think that's a profound human longing we should hold on to. The, the problem is when it becomes those bad people, as if my hands are clean. Do you know what I mean? And then hell becomes this, it's all for those people who are terrible and wrong. And then it becomes a way to not always, you know, not own up to your own contribution. So we're all sinners. And then so you have a problem with the idea that God would create sinners who would then choose hell? Well, in some ways, we see people choosing hell around us all the time. I mean, we see people in the face of the invitation to love your neighbor, exploit the neighbor, abuse the neighbor. So I begin with the reality of hell here and now. I also begin with the reality of the life of heaven here and now. Jesus kept saying, heaven, the kingdom of heaven, it's here now, it's among you, it's upon you. I wish we had a lot more time. <laughs> the book is called Love Wins by Rob Bell. Rob, thanks very much for coming in this morning. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll be right back. All right. Poor George is just having a hard time trying to make sense of what doesn't make sense. And he sincerely, and he gets it. He gets it, but every time he gets it, Bell takes him on a different direction. Okay. Where is the opening question? We're going to see this in the next video. This is very interesting. Here are is secular media. Where are they starting the discussion? With what is current and real right now, the suffering in Japan. Or you could say, Bob's with us. What about those people in Africa who are dying from AIDS? What about their suffering? And, and many of them are, uh, are uh, animism and, and all these uh, native, you know, they're, are they're going to hell without knowing. I think it's very interesting that they're starting with what is relevant and real. And, and the issue of hell has to do with suffering. Why, how can a good God allow such suffering? And it puts God on trial. And if you're not careful, it puts you on the defensive rather than understanding, hey, this suffering is not from God. It is from, as Rick said, our sin. Okay, there's whole ways of doing that. What's interesting is how does God respond to this? Uh, how does Bell respond to this question? 
And then, as so many Christians believe, how, how could you, God allow these victims to, to, who chose another faith to die eternal punishment? Why would he do that? What was Bell's answer? Well, first of all, his first answer to, well, let me say this. His first answer to the question of, are you a heretic? Did you remember his answer? Are you a heretic? Here's, here's his answer. I am deeply compelled and fascinated with Jesus. Well, you know, again, I don't want to be a hater, but good for you. The whole world, yeah, Satan is deeply compelled and fascinated with the Savior. I mean, I, I mean, I, now, can you imagine me on GMA? Chris, they're calling you a heretic. Well, how do you answer that? I'm deeply compelled and fascinated with Jesus? I'm going to say, no, I mean, that's scary. That's scary. We're going to see more scariness in a moment. Now, his answer, uh, oh, and then he says, I think the orthodox historical Christian tradition is a vast, diverse conversation that has been going on for thousands of years. And I think Jesus can handle the question, uh, discussion and handle the debate. Well, first of all, we didn't ask about Jesus. We know he's not a heretic. We asked about you. We know Jesus is okay. He's on the throne. You'll come and go and he'll be fine. And as will the Christian faith, by the way, as will your faith. But here's the question in your notes. Is the Christian faith an ongoing discussion or a deposit that is once delivered? And there's your blank. You know, once delivered to the saints to be protected, passed down, and proclaimed even when it's not politically correct. And I gave you the verses that, that say we're to protect the deposit. We're to proclaim the deposit, and we're to pass down. Listen, you pass down to your children that which has already been revealed, not a dialogue. Hey, Amber, let's have this conversation about the truth. We don't have it yet. We haven't arrived. But, uh, Morgan, you go off to college and dialogue with your profs and continue the journey to truth. Now, I don't think that's what your mama wants for you, right? You in Youthquake and you from your mom, dad, and you from this church, a deposit has been handed to you. And it's now Morgan's responsibility to guard it, to protect it, to pass it on to other collegians, other girls on the team, and to proclaim it. Now, do we do that in dialogue? Yeah, yeah, we, we, we love, we have loving dialogue. But it's not a discussion about whether, you know, and it may be a discussion from their angle if this is true. But God help us, Morgan, if you're going and asking unsaved players on your team, is the Bible true? And, and, and do billions of people, you know, you're, you know, you're there to listen to questions, to engage those questions, and then to provide God's answers. And then be ready for persecution from your own teammates. Because not everybody likes the answers. Amen? In the workplace. Morgan's so glad she came today. <laughs> but Morgan, when you're here, I have to make, I have to take advantage of it. She's a woman of influence. Amen? Very proud of her. And uh, pray for you. And that you will be a light in a very dark place. Because... The questions he's asking, sadly, a, a, a minister of the gospel is asking the questions that the lost rightfully ask, and we should be answering. Okay? Now, there's so much more we can, we can say here. I, I do want to say this about hell and heaven, and then we'll move to the last one. Did you note what he's saying? That heaven, he, 
Well, first of all, I don't understand what's wrong with his grandmother's picture. It's the bridge illustration of the gospel, and the bridge from, from being lost and separated to God to being in God's presence for all of eternity was the cross. See, that's the problem with this view. When you go to where this man has gone, Christ and his cross is of no value to you. It is not a treasure to you. It is not your greatest thing to proclaim. If you notice in all of this, he, Jesus is just not there, except as a deeply fascinating, compelling individual, somewhat like Elvis, who I find deeply compelling and fascinating as well, but I'm not trusting him for my salvation. Did you notice what he said about hell? We choose hell all the time. Hell is rape. Hell is suffering now. Folks, there is nothing that we go through, even the worst of AIDS and the worst of the Holocaust compares to eternal hell and the wrath of a holy God. Suffering now, hell later. And, and, and so that's a, an important part. Okay, we come, I saved the best for last. Uh, this is Martin Basher, made famous as an interviewer of Diana, Princess Diana, and, and uh, uh, Michael Jackson. Um, this is just, it really, this doesn't even need, uh, you know, a lot of commentary. One megachurch pastor has ignited a theological firestorm by suggesting that our response to the Christian message in this life will not necessarily determine our eternal destiny. In his book, Love Wins, Heaven, Hell, and the Fate of Every Person Who Ever Lived, Rob Bell says that ultimately all people will be saved, when though, even those who've rejected the claims of Christianity. He argues people will eventually be persuaded by God's love, post-mortem, in the life to come. And Pastor Rob Bell joins us now. Good afternoon, sir. Before we come to talk about the book, just help us with this tragedy in Japan. Which of these is true? Either God is all-powerful, but he doesn't care about the people of Japan, and therefore they're suffering, or he does care about the people of Japan, but he's not all-powerful. Which one is it? I begin with the belief that God, when we shed a tear, God sheds a tear. So, so I, I begin with a divine being who is profoundly empathetic, compassionate, and stands in solidarity with us. Secondly, the dominant story of the scriptures is about restoration, it's about renewal, it's about rebirth, it's about a God who insists in the midst of this chaos, the last word hasn't been spoken. And so people of faith have clung to this promise and this hope that God will essentially fix this place. And it's a beautiful hope, and I think we ought to keep it front and center, especially right now. So which of those is true? He's all-powerful and he cares, or he cares and is not all-powerful? I think that this is a paradox at the heart of the divine, and some paradoxes are best left exactly as they are. Okay. This book you've written has been stirring some controversy because the implication is, as you put it, God's love will eventually melt hearts. That's what you say in the book. So are you a universalist who believes that everyone can go to heaven regardless of how they respond to Christ on earth? Um, 
in, in regards to the question, are you a universalist, I would say first and foremost, no. And that is a perspective within the Christian stream. There has been, within the Christian tradition, a number of people who have said, given enough time, God will win everybody over. Um, one of the things in the book I'm very clear on and, and want people to see is that this tradition has all of these different opinions. Everybody will be won over. Some will continue to resist God's love. And that Christians have disagreed about this speculation. I, I, I get that. And so, so is it irrelevant and is it immaterial about how one responds to Christ in this life in terms of determining one's eternal destiny? Is that immaterial? I think it's extraordinarily important. I think it's extraordinarily important. in your important. book you said that God wins regardless in the end. Um, love wins for me is a way of understanding that God is love and love demands freedom. You are asking for it both ways. That doesn't make sense. I'm asking you, is it irrelevant as to how you respond to Christ in your life now to determine your eternal destiny? Is that irrelevant? Is it immaterial? It is terribly relevant and terribly important. Now, how exactly that works out and how exactly it works out in the future, we are now, when you die, firmly in the realm of speculation. And my experience has been that a lot of Christians have built whole dogmas about what happens when you die. And we have to be very careful that we don't build whole doctrines and dogmas on what is speculation. Jesus, I'm not talking about what happens when you die. I'm asking you how you respond here and now. And the question I'm asking you, and what you seem to be saying in this book, is that God will love, will melt everyone's heart eventually, some even post-mortem in death. So you're the one making the speculation about the afterlife. What I'm asking is, is it irrelevant and immaterial about how you respond to Christ now to determine your eternal destiny? Is that relevant or irrelevant? Does it have a bearing or does it have no bearing? I, has, I think it has tremendous bearing. It also at the same time raises all sorts of questions, and that is why the discussion is so lively and vibrant. Namely, what about people who haven't heard about Jesus? What about uh, the woman I talked to a couple weeks ago who was abused by her pastor? And so, for her, Jesus is tied up in all sorts of things, and I assume that God's grace gives people space to work those sort of issues out. One critique of your book says this, there are dozens of problems with love wins. The history is inaccurate, the use of scripture indefensible. That's true, isn't it? No, it's not true. So why do you choose, for example, to accept and promote the works of the early writer Origen, and not, for example, Arius, who took a view of Jesus' deity as, as in being not, de- not God. Why do you select one and not select the other? Because, first and foremost, I'm a pastor. And so I deal with real people in a real world asking and wrestling with these issues of faith. And what I have discovered over and over again is there are people who have questions and hunches and have sort of, I'm really struggling with this. And when you can simply give them the gift of, by the way, within the Christian tradition, there are scholars and theologians and there are other people who have had the same questions. They have had the the same But you've just indicated, though, one of the problems with this book, which is, in a sense, you're creating a Christian message that's warm, kind, and popular for contemporary culture, but it's frankly, according to this critic, unbiblical and historically unreliable. 
That's true, isn't it? No. What you've done true. is you're amending the gospel, the Christian message, so that it's palatable to contemporary people who find, for example, the idea of hell and heaven very difficult to stomach. So here comes Rob Bell. He's made a Christian <laughs> gospel for you, and it's perfectly palatable. It's much easier to swallow. That's what you've done, haven't you? No, I haven't. And there's actually an entire chapter in the book on hell. And there's an... I mean, throughout the book, over and over again, our choices matter. The decisions we make about whether we extend love to others or not, the ways in which we resist or we open ourselves to God's love, these are incredibly important. How much, how much is this book you working out your own childhood experience of being brought up in a fairly cramped evangelical family and really finding that difficult as you became an adult? How much is this actually that? Oh, I would totally own up to that in a heartbeat. I think we are all on a journey, and we're all, we all were handed things. You were handed things. I were handed things. This is the way the world works. This is what matters. This is what doesn't. Here's who these people are. Here's who these people are. Here's who's in. Here's who's out. We've all been handed these things, and we spend our lives sort of pushing back and questioning and probing. I think that's what makes it so engaging. It's part of the joy of life. Pastor Rob Bell, thank you very much for joining us. And your book is called Love Wins, a book about heaven, hell, and the fate of every person who ever lived. Thank right. you. Okay. Whoa. All right. Just a couple things. First of all, he, he starts out by summarizing this book. And he, sa he, he says, listen, listen just summarize. He says, our he, he, he's saying what, Bell, what Bell's book. Our response to the Christian message in this life will not necessarily determine our eternal destiny. That's post-mortem salvation. Rob Bell says, ultimately, all people will be saved. That's universalism. Even those who have rejected the claims of Christianity, that's pluralism. People will eventually be persuaded by God's love post-mortem after death in the life to come. That's post-mortem evangelism. Basser did not mention that Bell believes that all this while still claiming Jesus is in some way involved. That's inclusivism. Here's the introduction. What does Bell say to that introduction? He smiles and says nothing. Now that tells you everything. Again, picture me or any other faithful preacher of the gospel being introduced that way on national TV and not saying, well, before we start, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, and, and not just smiling. A wolf in sheep's clothing. And Basher got to the key issue. If all what you say is true, then making a decision for Christ in this life is irrelevant. Oh, it's tremendously important. Just like Jesus is compelling and fascinating. But what did he say? It's tremendously important. But to speculate what that decision means after death, no one knows. This is great. Let's go evangelize for Easter coming up. And tell every people to decide for Christ, but realize your decision... We have no clue what it's going to mean in eternity. Pack it up. Pack it up. Okay. What should we take away from today's lesson? Number one, heaven and hell are topics that people are interested in and willing to talk about. Folks, we need to speak up and share both the bad news and the good news much, much more. People are interested. Number two, not every pastor is preaching biblical truth about heaven and hell. No matter how good their communication skills, how slick their videos, how big their church, or how hip their ministry is, we need to learn to discern between what is right and wrong, what is true and false, what is biblical and unbiblical, and not buy into a dialogue when there's been a deposit delivered once and for all to the saints. Number three, 
The Bible is clear on the importance of responding to the person work of Jesus Christ right now before we die. Therefore, we need to learn to hupakuo, quick to hear, quick to respond to what God has said. If you do not know where you are going for all of eternity, this man is wrong. You don't have to speculate. Christ has been there. He's risen from the dead. He can save you today from your sins and be with him forever and start eternal life right now for all of eternity. And death will just be entrance into his glory. So run to Christ, place your faith in Christ, confess your sins, turn from them and turn to our living Savior. And by the way, Jesus knows far more than Rob Bell or me because he's been there, he conquered it, and he can give you the same resurrection life. Amen? Man, if this doesn't psych you up for Easter, I don't know what does. Extravaganza, let's be involved. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a gracious God, that we were born spiritually deaf, dumb, blind, and dead, and separated, and cursed by our sin. And you and your grace enlightened us. You drew us to your son, Jesus Christ. You brought people into our life who had answers, not because they were so smart, but because they had hupakuo. They had submitted to your word, and they knew your answers, and they shared them with us. And we know that you will build your church and your truth triumphs. May we share it with a heart of compassion. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.